Well, thank you very much. You are listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you for joining us again. And as you know, if you are a regular or occasional denizen of The Jazz Focus, we tend to focus on something kind of narrow and dig a little deeper than might normally. So today we're going to be listening to the products of two albums that were made for Pacific Records in the late 1950s. And these were both uh, done by the pianist and arranger Gil Evans. And the first one was called New Bottle Old Wine, which uh, was a product of several recording dates in 1958. And then Great Jazz Standards, which were done in 1959. And these two albums, in addition to being united by some personnel and by Gil Evans' arrangements, uh, they are have a, a common idea, which is to take, for the most part, jazz standards from other eras and uh, kind of develop some ideas that had happened since then in terms of their arrangements. Gil Evans was born in 1912 in Canada and uh, moved around quite a bit as a child. He ended up in California, where he graduated high school and went to college. Um, uh, college of the Pacific, I think it was, and started uh, developing or, or developing his interest in music. He'd always been interested in music and took piano lessons. He was never known as a great piano player in terms of jazz, but he expressed himself primarily through his arrangements. He started a band when he was in college that uh, uh, was the uh, conduit for some of his early arranging uh, experiments, and they actually became the house band for Bob Hope for a little while on his radio show. And they were replaced by Claude Thornhill, who quickly uh, recognized Evan's abilities and hired him as an arranger, and uh, Gil Evans arranged for the Claude Thornhill Band throughout the middle part of the 1940s. And the Thornhill Band was really renowned during this period as a very unusual big band. It had more or less standard instrumentation, although it had several French horns and uh, all of the saxophones doubled clarinets, and there were one or two other specific clarinets, so they could have quite an instrumental choir going there in the Thornhill Band. Claude Thornhill himself was a piano player who had uh, led bands and played in various swing bands in the 1930s. He was known as a very sensitive musician who, uh, in his own arrangements and compositions, for example, his theme song, Snowfall, tended to uh, utilize some classical influences, some impressionistic harmonies and things like that. And possibly because of that, that band was never overly popular with the public, although it did well enough that uh, Thornhill kept it on the road for a couple of decades. Evans came to the fore in the 1940s, uh, uh, arranging for the Thornhill Band and utilizing some of these different instrumental colors. His arrangements were very challenging, and uh, he started listening to some of the new bebop innovations as well. In fact, uh, his arrangements and Jerry Mulligan's really kind of set the pace for the Thornhill Band uh, being kind of an innovative group at the time. Uh, Jerry Mulligan did more bebop arrangements like Yardbird Suite and Ornithology and things like that, but uh, Gil Evans rec uh, did quite a few other interesting arrangements as well and worked out his arranging ideas during that period. In the late 1940s, he was in New York, uh, supporting himself as a freelance arranger, and uh, he made the acquaintance of people like Miles Davis and uh, um, John Lewis and Gunther Schuller and people who were kind of on the cusp of contemporary classical and uh, cutting-edge jazz, and they started exchanging ideas, which came to be known as the Birth of the Cool Sessions, and uh, Miles Davis, of course, led a nonet, which featured a lot of arrangements by uh, Gil Evans and Miles Davis and Johnny Carisi and other people that uh, kind of 
pared down the instrumentation of a standard big band and created an idea of a lot of different interlocking melodies with counterpoint and a lot of classical influence. And those recordings that were made by the Miles Davis Nonet, uh, The Birth of the Cool Sides for Capital, were... Uh, quite influential in the next different styles of jazz coming out. West Coast jazz, Gil Evans' future arrangements, and quite a bit of other, uh, other stylistic developments in 1950s and 60s jazz, what came to be known as jazz fusion, the fusion of jazz and classical music. So we get to the late 1950s here, 1958 and 59. Gil Evans had been doing some arrangements for Miles Davis. In fact, uh, his first album with Miles Davis had come out the year before, and that was called... Um, which one was that? That was called Miles Ahead, 1957. And during the time where he was recording uh, these sessions for New Bottle Old Wine, he had done um, the scoring and the recording for the Miles Davis uh, album, the classic album of Porgy and Bess. And then the next year, or two years later, came Sketches of Spain and um, then some other uh, one-off uh uh, combinations as well. And the, many of the innovations from the Columbia albums that he was doing with Miles Davis, uh, he also used on his own albums for Pacific. So we're going to start out, we're actually going to play two sets on this podcast. We're going to do two fairly long sets because these are uh, tunes from the LP era and uh, timing was not an issue. They didn't have to keep to the three-minute limit of the old 78s, so Evans could really stretch out his arrangements and allow his soloists to stretch out as well. For New Bottle Old Wine, um, the arrangements uh, of these tunes are, are sort of on the same level as the soloist, and the chief soloist is Cannonball Adderley, who's really kind of featured throughout this entire album, almost playing obligato through all the arrangements, and uh, very nicely. Adderley, of course, was a great bebop alto player who'd come up from Texas, uh, not Texas, excuse me, from Florida with his brother Nat. Uh, Cannonball, was, Julian Adderley, was a school teacher and came up on a break, apparently, in about 1955 and was invited to sit in at the Cafe Bohemia and really turn New York on its head. He became uh, the alto player uh, to follow Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker was just getting to the end of his days at that point, and uh, Adderley was looked at as the, the new savior of jazz, if you will, and he had a tremendous technique and a fantastic sound, he read well, and so he could fit into a lot of different musical circumstances, and we will hear one of them right here. So we're going to start out with two tunes that were actually kind of put together. They're two distinct arrangements, but on the album they were... Uh, uh, gone from one to the other without r any pause, so it's almost like a medley. The first one is the W.C. Handy tune, St. Louis Blues, which is possibly the most recorded tune in, in American music history, and uh, this gives you an idea of Gil Evans' uh, arranging techniques. It starts out very spare, uh, and then gradually starts to pick up and, and, and lay down a good cushion for Adderley's improvisations. From there, we have a short drum break, and we go into the Jellero Morton tune, King Porter Stop, which has some similarities to the, the big band versions by Fletcher Henderson with the call and response figures, but we don't have sections. The band, in this case, uh, was three trumpets, Johnny Coles, Louis Mucci, and either Ernie Royal or Clyde Riesinger, two trombones, Frank Rehack and Joe Bennett, and a bass trombone, Tom Mitchell, a French horn, Julius Watkins, and a tuba, and the tuba is either Harvey Phillips or Bill Barber, we'll tell you when we get to the break. Cannonball Adderley, of course, is on alto, and then two other reed players, actually one other reed player, either Gerald Sanfino or Phil Bodner, playing piccolo, flute, 
and clarinet, and occasionally English horn. Then we have uh, any piano played by Gil Evans, but there isn't much piano on here, Chuck Wayne on guitar, Paul Chambers on bass, and Art Blakey on drums, although Philly Joe Jones sits in on one tune. So after the King Porter stop, we're going to go to the uh, uh, James P. Johnson tune, Willow Tree. Not uh, Willow Weep for Me, but Willow Tree, which was composed for uh, a show in 1927, and Johnson and Fats Waller made the first recording of that, and we'll hear Cannibal Adderley uh, really uh, doing a special job on that tune. Following that, we will go to the Thelonious Monk uh, tune, not uh, too old at that point, called Around Midnight, or Roundabout Midnight as it was originally known. And then we're going to finish up with a Dizzy Gillespie tune called Mantica, using uh, a lot of the Afro-Cuban rhythms that uh, were made famous initially by his band in the late 1940s. So those will be our tunes from New Bottle, Old Wine, Gil Evans and his orchestra, St. Louis Blues, King Porter Stomp, Willow uh, Tree, Round Midnight, and Mantica. Thank you. 
some truly innovative and interesting arrangements of tunes that were familiar to uh, musicians and to fans from a different jazz generation. We started out with the St. Louis Blues going right into King Porter Stomp, and both of those feature a pretty much continuous solo by Cannonball Adderley on alto sax. He was a really marvelous musician and saxophone player, in addition to being a great jazz player as well. We heard Gil Evans featured on piano in a couple of those uh, moments and through there, and Chuck Wayne on guitar. Chuck Wayne had uh, played with a number of big bands, including, I think, Woody Herman's for a while, um, and he was sort of on the on the forefront or the cutting edge between swing and bebop in the mid-1940s. He made a lot of recording dates for Black and White and, I think, Keynote and some other uh, labels of uh, with groups that were very much uh, combinations of swing and bebop musicians. Then we went to Willow Tree, and that uh, was a very atmospheric tune. It was very um, kind of dark, in a way, in its original inception. The first recording was done by, as I said, Fats Waller and the composer, James P. Johnson, along with two horn players, Jabbo Smith on trumpet and Garvin Bushell on clarinet and alto sax in that case. And here, of course, much greater uh, instrumental forces at work. And we heard Gil Evans and Cannonball Adderley featured. We also heard on drums on that particular tune, Philly Joe Jones. Uh, Art Blakey's on all the other tunes that we heard so far. Then we went to Round Midnight, the Thelonious Monk tune, and again heard some uh, great uh, uh, Gil Evans and uh, Cannonball Adderley. I should also mention that uh, on Willow Tree we heard some very nice trumpet by Johnny Coles. He's going to be much better featured on the next album coming up in the next set. Then after Round Midnight, we finished up with Mantika, but in between the two, there was kind of an overlap between the two tunes. They were uh, The melody of uh, Round Midnight was going on in the scoring for the last uh, 16 bars or so of the last chorus, but underneath we had the Latin rhythm that was associated with Mantica. So Evans was uh, sort of thinking of this, I think, as a theme album in a way, almost just a continuous uh, piece of music on each side of the album. And then Mantica, as I said, featured Cannonball Adderley again, along with those great Latin rhythms. So the next year, uh, Evans went back into the studio with a somewhat similar group, and he uh, called this album um, Great Jazz Standards. And uh, it had uh, some different tunes, and including a couple of Gil Evans originals, or at least one Gil Evans original, and one or two more contemporary tunes. But uh, the focus here is, of course, on the arrangements, although there are some great solos as well. No Cannonball Adderley on this album, but... Um, 
some other players who are very well featured. So we're going to hear, again, three trumpets. Uh, there were two different sessions made for this album. Louis Mucci was uh, the lead trumpet player, and he uh, was on most of Gil Evans' sessions with Miles Davis and other band sessions up through the 1970s. We're also going to hear Johnny Coles on trumpet. He's the soloist, and then either Alan Smith or Danny Stiles. On trombone, we're going to hear Jimmy Cleveland uh, or Bill Elton and Curtis Fuller. Rod Levitt plays bass trombone on one session, Dick Lieb on another. Then we're going to hear Bob Northern or Earl Chapin on French horn. The French horn is a very important tone color to uh, Gil Evans, as we're going to hear. Then Bill Barber plays tuba on both of these uh, recordings. I should mention Bill Barber uh, sounded wonderful on those uh, tunes that we just heard, Manteca and Willow Tree especially. Then we're going to hear Steve Lacey playing a soprano sax solo. He was a young musician who was very much into the sway of Thelonious Monk and uh, started cutting albums in the 1950s, uh, most of which, uh, initially anyway, were devoted to the music of Thelonious Monk. And we're going to hear him uh, playing on one Monk tune. Then we have another reed player, either Al Block or Eddie Kane, playing alto saxophone and clarinet and flute uh, in the background figures. on the second session, uh, which will be the second two tunes of our four-tune session, we're going to hear the veteran Bud Johnson on tenor sax and clarinet. He had played with Louis Armstrong's big band in the early 30s. He had played with Earl Hines' band. He was actually the straw boss of the Earl Hines' band in the early 1940s, contributed a bunch of arrangements, and um, did some marvelous tenor sax playing on those, and had a very long career beyond that as well. We're going to hear on the first session Chuck Wayne, and the second session Ray Crawford on guitar. First session, Dick Carter. Second session, Tommy Potter on bass. First session, Dennis Charles on drums. And the second session, Elvin Jones on drums. So, keep all those straight for yourself. There aren't too many uh, soloists here, but the ones who are featured are featured very well. We're going to start out with the tune by the... uh, cornet player from Davenport, Iowa, suitably the Davenport Blues. And this is going to be a feature for, suitably enough, a trumpet player, Johnny Coles. After that, we'll hear the Thelonious Monk tune, Straight No Chaser, and that will have quite a few solos on it. Uh, Johnny Coles on trumpet, a long solo by Steve Lacey on soprano sax, Curtis Fuller on trombone, and the boss, Gil Evans, on piano, doing some suitably monkish interpretations and interpolations, I should say. That's from that first session. Then the second session, I should tell you when those were. The first session was um, from uh, early, it says, 1959, so January, I believe. The second session was February 2nd, 1959. And that uh, session will produce the last two tunes we're going to hear. Chant of the Weed, which was the theme song for the Don Redmond Orchestra at Connie's Inn in the early 1930s, 1931-32. Redmond recorded it a couple of times. It's a very kind of moody piece using a lot of whole tone scale effects. Um, It may have some drug references, although at that point I don't know if that was a common uh, term for for marijuana, weed, but it uh, gives that sort of feeling at any rate. Um, And it's going to feature Bud Johnson on clarinet. He was not known as a accomplished clarinet player other than in a section, but he was actually quite a good performer. He later on in the 1970s played in Benny Goodman's band, and he uh, obviously didn't have any clarinet features there, but he was uh, hired on the basis of his musicianship, and in that band you had to be a reasonably good clarinet player, and Bud Johnson was. He's going to be featured on his more familiar instrument, tenor sax, on the last tune we're going to hear, which is called La Nevada, which was also known as The Theme, the Gil Evans original tune, our only Gil Evans original today. And we will also hear Elvin Jones on drums and Ray Crawford on guitar on that one.
So these are from the Great Jazz Standards album on Pacific uh, Records that uh, Gil Evans produced in 1959, 1960, I think the album was released. And we're going to hear those four tunes, Davenport Blues, Straight Note Chaser, Chant of the Weed, and La Nevada. Thank 
Some fantastic playing by Elvin Jones on drums on that last number, La Nevada, the theme, by Gil Evans. And that uh, duet between the guitar, Ray Crawford, and Elvin Jones really kind of set the stage for some of the things that uh, Jones would do with John Coltrane in the next decade. This album was made in 1959, came out in about 1960. So we started out that set with Davenport Blues, a very kind of mysterious, I used the word atmospheric before for another tune, but it fits here as well, that uh, bluesy but not a blues tune by Bix Beiderbeck, and really slowed down and um, turned into a tone poem by Gil Evans and featuring the trumpet of Johnny Coles. So after that, we went to a very different tune, Straight No Chaser, the Thelonious Monk tune, which featured some Gil Evans piano on it uh, at the end, especially getting into kind of a groove there as well. Um, and we heard, in addition to that, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Steve Lacey on an excellent soprano sax solo, and Johnny Coles again on trumpet. And then we went to the last two tunes featuring Bud... Uh, uh, Johnson. <laughs> Couldn't come up with his last name. Bud Johnson, the African-American saxophone player who, as I mentioned, played with uh, Louis Armstrong and then Earl Hines, later on with Benny Goodman, played with a lot of bands, actually. His tenor sax solo on La Nevada was very much out of the Lester Young tradition, and that's kind of uh, the style that he came from uh, on tenor, anyway. He was actually, I think, a little bit older than Lester Young was, uh, or about the same age, at any rate, but he was very much uh, under that stylistic spell. And we also heard, as I said, Ray Crawford and Elvin Jones on that. And preceding that, we had the Don Redmond tune, Chant of the Weed. Not too slow, kind of groovy sounding with a really um, gutsy clarinet solo uh, and lead to the rest of the ensemble done by Bud Johnson. And uh, really bringing out some of the um, scary elements, if you will, of Chant of the Weed that Don Redmond was trying to put in with those whole tone scales and things like that. Redmond recorded that... Um, on the slower side, uh, the first time he did in about 1931, and then when he re-recorded it in about 1940 for Victor, he did it much faster. So that was a tune that had a certain element of plasticity to it. You could do quite a lot with it. So I hope you've enjoyed this show. This is our... Uh, Old Bottles, Older Wine program, using the music of Gil Evans that he recorded for Pacific uh, in 1958 and 1959, saluting the earlier jazz tradition, using these tunes by earlier jazz composers for the most part, and uh, some earlier jazz soloists, but some contemporary jazz as well, really melding the two styles. So this is the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. If you'd like to sponsor us, please do so. We'd love to have some more sponsors, and please feel free to contact me on my social media. Wolverine Jazz Band is my band, and you can get to wolverinejazzband.com or Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook and Instagram. So looking forward to hearing from you at some point, and until then, I'll see you on the other side.